Scholars and the Carpenter. My name is Jason Alligan. I'm the teaching pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Peoria, Illinois. And with me as always is Gary Gear, pastor of Calvary Baptist Bible Church, also in Peoria. Gary, uh, what color is the sky in your world today, my friend? Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with that, but... <laughs> it is a beautiful day. Yeah. Things are random. Life is good. Yeah. Yeah. The snow has melted. Yeah, most Ish. of it, yes. Yeah, most, most of, it, of it's melted. Just the big, dirty piles of plowed snow that are left. Bad, by the way, that, that noise you heard was me gargling some water from bottled water. So just in case you wonder what the sound effects budget, it's pretty low here. It is pretty low. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so um, yeah, we are um, back in the uh, makeshift studio with our producer, um, whose initials happen to be the same as mine. Uh, which may give you a clue as to who that is, but we're not gonna we're not gonna say. Just as we never say who is the walrus and who is the carpenter, um, truth is we don't know. Um, but <laughs> um, I always kind of imagine Gary that when if one of us dies before the other, we'll just assign it at the funeral. You okay with that? That'll be fine. That'll okay. be fine. <laughs> That we'll just determine at that moment which one was which. Fair, um, fair, fair so, enough. We, we we can write with shoe unless polish we, unless we're on top of the coffin or and, something like unless that. Unless we uh, unless we both die in, at the same time, then then we're we don't know. The, the mystery will die with us. I, you know, if there is a situation where both of us would die together, I don't even want to speculate what that would be. <laughs> that actually, kind of. I always imagine it as a Thelma and Louise type um, situation. I, I always think of bears or sharks with lasers on their heads. <laughs> I, I don't know. But whatever it is, we're doing it together, right? Fair that's, enough. That's, Fair yeah, enough. That's right. Well, uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about something that is known in theology as the perspicuity of Scripture. And uh, Gary, that's the term Gary wanted to use because he likes to be all snobby like that. I am, but... I am an intellectual. <laughs> I just want people to know that. Yeah. See, Mom, I told you I'd make it. Yeah. <laughs> Top of the world, Ma. Yeah. So uh, perspicuity, though, does mean clarity, the clarity of Scripture. And so we're going to talk about um, what we mean or what theologians mean when we say the Scripture is clear, because you might be hearing this and thinking, my goodness, there are some places in Scripture that are seem very unclear to me, and so we're going to tackle that uh, for a little while today together. Let me just begin with a scripture that uh, most of you are familiar with and uh, just kind of set the theological place where we're coming from, which is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God or is inspired by God or is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so just for a moment there, just thinking about that, all Scripture, of course, at the time that Paul is writing this to Timothy, likely the Scripture he is referring to sort of exclusively is the Old Testament. But um, we, we, of course, understand uh, later that the New Testament is God's Word as well, God breathed, etc. But notice he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That could not be if the scriptures were not clear. And if all the scriptures were um, uh, not clear, then then this would be a lie. But so, wait, Jason, yes. if scripture is supposed to be clear, why are there so many denominations and yes. so many people yes. that disagree? Yes, and Because no one's and, ever brought that up before. And nobody. And commentaries <laughs> and, and uh, what do you need a faith statement for, or a, a creed or confession, right? Yeah, so I think we're going to get into all of that uh, today as we uh, move uh, forward. Um, but uh, Gary, why don't you give us a definition uh, 
sort of when we say the perspicuity of Scripture, what do we mean by that? I believe that God, and I believe Scripture teaches us that God has communicated His Word in such a way that through the Holy Spirit working in a person's life and God providentially working, any believer can understand any part of Scripture. Uh, in fact, I would put perspicuity in opposition to Gnosticism. Okay. If, if I may put it this way, that may make it a little bit clear. Gnosticism being the idea that there is secret knowledge that is only available to a few. Right. In fact, when Scripture talks about us growing in knowledge and truth, and I think of Hebrews 4 or 5 at the end, um, it is connected directly with how we exercise our faith. Mm-hmm. That, that that is actually, and by the way, that's not through ritual, that's just through obedience. Right. So any believer who is growing in their faith and demonstrating it through their works, they will always be able to grow in their understanding of God's Word without any sort of external ritual, if I may put it this way, but it always requires other believers, according mm-hmm. to Ephesians chapter 4. Mm-hmm. We always need other believers to understand Scripture, mm-hmm. but we do not need external resources other than that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I know I made yeah. it a lot more complex than probably it needed to be. But. Yeah, it's such a great point, because there's so much of this attitude of uh, just me and Jesus and my Bible kind of attitude right. out there, and, and I really cannot... Um, live the Christian life, nor get the fullness of the understanding of the Scriptures without the input of other believers in my life, uh, a la Ephesians chapter 4. We're growing into the body together. Uh, we would understand that to be in uh, representative in, in local assemblies as well. Um, so you made the distinction between the unbeliever and the believer. It made me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, you, you use that passage, and I agree with it. 1 Corinthians 1 is actually, not actually, but it hits also to the heart of it mm-hmm. when it tells us what type of people God chose uh-huh. to become believers. Right. Who, who, who are what? The fools. So, right. so we, we have to recognize and acknowledge the fact yep. that God, the, the perspicuity is necessary because most believers yeah. aren't going to be the educated, mm-hmm. intellectual type that right. a lot of religions would claim, whether it's Buddhism or Islam, where you need some sort of imen or some type of, uh, I forget what term that, that the Hindus use for their for their teachers, mm-hmm. uh, who are able to intermediate. In fact, the, uh, the, the Christian teacher takes a totally different role right. as opposed to, to some of these other religions. Right. And it says, you know, in Scripture that all will be taught by God, the Spirit will teach us, the Spirit will lead us into all truth these kinds of things. And so we do hold to the priesthood of all believers. We think that that reformational uh, uh, doctrine that was highlighted by Luther and then others is a very important one. Um, But, you know, I'm looking behind you, Gary, in my study here, and I have you know, hundreds of books behind your... Sweet Valley head. High. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Let's yeah. see, what else? Yeah, and so, some of them... Harry Potter. Yeah, a, a, f- a few of them have to do with the Bible. Um, just a few. But um, but the point being that uh, this is such a great 
uh, point that you make earlier that we do lean on others. Um, you know, we don't want to say that if we were on an island and all we had were the scriptures, we would be in trouble. Um, but that's not how God designs it. So when right. we talk about um, benefiting from the studies of others, um, that's not authoritative as the Bible no. is, but it is helpful. I, well, as Proverbs says in, in, in the Council of Many, I, I look at the commentaries. In fact, uh, one guy I heard from, I don't necessarily agree with him, he said, you know, he uses up to 15 commentaries each time he studies. And I struggle with that a bit because I look at commentaries as voices that I'm listening to. Right. I can handle three or four voices at the most. Yeah. And then it all gets, starts getting mumbled together. 15, right. it would just become right a whole babble of yeah. voices to me. But the existence of those helps or even yes. creeds and confessions... We're, those are not a slam against the perspicuity of Scripture. No, no, they're not. They're actually an evidence of it. Well, yes, because I'm, I'm talking, when I pick up a, a good commentary, I'm talking to a friend I have not met who loves the Lord, and he's telling me what he thinks about this passage. Right, right. So the the measure of perhaps questioning if someone is a reliable source is not those other sources, but the Scripture itself. Yes. To some degree, again, we, we want to talk about the distillation of truth over time, wrestling through Arianism and creeds and right. these kinds of things have, have helped define those more sharply for us. But what I'm saying is that you're going to notice a difference when you pick up uh, a Rudolf Boltmann versus you know um, some other more conservative right. um, uh, person, but not because necessarily of the content of those books, but the content of Scripture I would, I would, on I would, this point exactly. Right, and I, w- I would say the content of Scripture, I would take it one more point farther and say the content of that person's heart who's writing it. Sure. Because if I, if, if someone who's That's writing that is a brother in Christ yeah. who has the Holy Spirit within him, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's inspiring him because I don't believe that's the case. Right. But he will have a love of God's Word mm-hmm. that will push him towards wanting to make sure the truth is out there. I mean, like, I, I don't know about you, but um, in seminary, I was unsufferable. Some people would say that I, 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 I still that's am. That's shocking. I, I know, I know. <laughs> but but people would, hey, hey, you're in seminary. And they would name these various writers who had died long before I'd ever knew they existed or, you know, last century. I won't name their names because I don't want to seem obnoxious about it. But they'd say, oh, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of by this guy or that guy. And in my mind, I'd be like... I don't want those. Those are not true. Now, again, I don't think they're as useful, but those were guys who loved Jesus. Now, again, right. some of the information may be dated. Maybe sure. he was wrong on some areas. But yeah. I have no right to sit there and be snobby right. and sit there and like, oh, obviously he doesn't yeah. know as much as I did. You right, know? right. That's that's horse crap. Yeah, but and thanks for using that two episodes in a row. But <laughs> I am. I am. I'm here for the euphemisms. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, you... So let's take the instance of of someone like Boltmann and say, you know, a conservative, and I use that term in the sense of just that's how we define these things, but somebody who's reading the scripture and sees resurrection, someone who was raised from the dead, their question isn't, is that what that really means? Where Boltmann is going to ask that, is that what that really means? And I would say the clear indication of that is, yes, that's what that means. And and Boltman's presupposition would be that supernatural events don't necessarily take place. Right. So right. this this must mean something what is obviously laid down. Right. right. Um I've 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 taught through the Apocrypha a few times. 
to in the class that I, I teach. And it's interesting when you see, when you contrast something like the Apocrypha mm-hmm. with Scripture, yep. how one is so much clearer than the other. Yes. Which brings us back to the, not back, but brings us to the idea of the magisterium, yeah. the Roman Catholic magisterium. And right. Can, can you define that for us? Yeah, the magisterium would be the tradition that is held by the um, Roman Catholic Church that overrules the Scripture, especially as the Pope speaks uh, ex cathedra out of from his throne, and that becomes canon, as it were, right. over oh, and above the Scripture. Although I could be wrong on this, I think. Well, yeah, because I I think I would distinguish the magisterium from ex cathedra, but I could be wrong on that because I I don't. Well, know. I could I could be wrong too. Okay, so, well, no, no, well, let's both be wrong. We're both and, wrong. And, okay. and, yeah, but but the idea of the Catholic Church saying yes, this is what's you know Scripture says this thing, but our tradition will tell you how to interpret it because you obviously cannot interpret it for yourself. Right. That's a big pushback against the perspicuity of Scripture. Right, right. That's saying that you you cannot know this. Right, right. So let's think about this idea of clarity and test it in places where there are difficult things to understand. What do we do with that? Um, So, you know, we, we say Scripture is clear. And then we get to the book of Revelation, we get past the seven churches, which there's some unclear in there. Right. But we get to the, past that and we're like, whoa. Well, I would, I, would, I, would, I would say this, and this is, I would say that Revelation is so clear. It is so clear. But because, I mean, it's telling you these events are going to take place. Now, whether or not some of it's poetic, some of it's literal, right. I, I would say it's very clear to any believer something like this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, Words probably cannot reflect the full glory of what I'm actually going to see. It's going to happen now. Where where we struggle with perspicuity is when it's going to happen, mm-hmm. and whether it's providential, miraculous, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's an attack against perspicuity. I think mm-hmm. that is just an understanding. And I think is it in Isaiah? Maybe it's in Revelation where God says, "There's some things I don't want you to know, but I want you to know I'm doing things." Right. And if we look at perspicuity from that angle, saying, "Okay, God's doing something." Right. All right. Yeah. You know, his yeah. his wrath is coming. His he, He's right. redeeming his people. He's yeah. rescuing people. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking big picture, we're not necessarily saying that we're, we're going to get clarity on particulars that just, you know, I, I, I mean, this is a different discussion perhaps, but just thinking that it would seem like people in the first century understood exactly what John was talking about, you know. Possibly, Possibly, yeah. you know. Uh, whereas we're removed from that and, and we struggle a little bit. But I like your point that we, we know God is at work. Yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, the, the un... Well, and then there's the principle of the less clear parts are made more clear by the more clear parts yeah. as, as well. Um, so I'm just, you know, kind of spitballing well, here, it, a little yeah. thinking out loud. Well, it's interesting because this also ties in to a literal hermeneutic versus... Uh, versus uh, the uh, analogy or allegorical. Allegorical, yeah, yeah. And I, I asked a professor recently, when, when, when did the church started em- really start embracing allegory? Mm-hmm. And he said, he, according to what he can tell, and it was interesting, he said, uh, once Jesus didn't return right away, mm-hmm. people figured those things needed to be allegory because they couldn't be literal. So so, huh. the, uh, so the allegory, and I, 
I, I need to dig into this. Mm-hmm. But when I look at allegory entering into the church throughout the centuries, yeah. I wonder if it enters in through eschatology because we challenge the perspicuity of Scripture on eschatology. I, yeah. I'm kind of wondering yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question, and um, yeah, obviously different conversations around. Uh, how we think about typology and, right. and these kinds of things, and um, but yeah, uh, it, it is just kind of that question that's raised. Um, and of course, on the other side of that, we're not saying that an unbeliever can't pick up the scripture no, no, and, no, no. and not understand it. No, and this when we say the clarity of scripture. But back to the First Corinthians thing, it is not spiritually; they're not able to discern it because it is spiritually right. discerned. Um, yeah, I think about I, I use this illustration often. There's a guy named uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Are you yeah. familiar with yeah, Nick, Nick yeah. Cave? Yeah, yeah. So we're so, like that. Yeah. So Nick Nick Cave. Uh, I think I remember reading in uh, College Music Journal back in the '90s that he said he read the Bible every day. Um, but there, though there may be sort of an intellectual understanding to some degree, there was just clearly not an application of of that truth in his life, uh, beginning with the gospel. Um, for, for those of you who wonder who Nick Cave is and what Jason is referring to, if anyone has heard uh, the Johnny Cash cover of, oh, is it the Judgment Seat, the one in, the guy who's in the electric chair? I don't remember. Um, we may have to tap that on there or something. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, it uses a lot of biblical language, and it ties in the Judgment Seat of Christ sure. with... Um, with uh, with being in the electric chair, being someone who was, oh, who was condemned, and yeah. Johnny Cash did a cover of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that's a whole other day and age. Yeah. Um, but here, here's something else about perspicuity that's interesting, and I might torque off any of our Presbyterian brother who listen to this, which they probably don't. <laughs> but 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 the idea of I'll, I'll be honest, pedo baptism, and the idea of 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 the covenant baptizing children in the covenant, to me, that pushes back against the perspicuity. Mm-hmm. If, if, if a believer in Christ could not open up the Bible mm-hmm. and get that from Scripture, mm-hmm. I mean, again, that pushes against yeah. the the clarity of Scripture, because the yeah. argument is actually, well, baptism is really um, circumcision, you know, and on and on. It's like, okay, connect the dots, because Jesus wrote this mm-hmm. for 1 Corinthians 1 believers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he wanted them to do it, he would have told them to. And again, I, I think sometimes it's just to push back on the obvious. One of my biggest arguments against the whole, uh, the, uh, not theocratic, but... Um, Theonomic? Uh, evolution, theo... Oh, 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 oh theistic the, evolution. Yeah, theistic evolution is, is why would God say I'm a God of truth and then lie to someone about something? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, yeah. that, that pushes against the, yeah. the, the whole clarity... Yeah. Of what God's accomplishing with this book. Yeah. It's just not consistent with him. Right. Yeah. I have I have a thought, Gary, this going through my head and I want to ask you I'm trying to think how to formulate it. What's the danger? Let me ask it in two two parts. Number one, what is the pastor preacher for if the scriptures are clear? And then secondly, how do we not become over-dependent as believers on our pastor-preacher? Okay, first of all, this is far more important. Um, the song is called The Mercy Seat. 
And it is on uh, his the, covers album. Yes. Johnny Cash's well, actually, covers and, album, right? And he put out four of them. He put four different covers okay. album out. I didn't remember, remember it was four of them. Yeah, man, dude. Um, and I, let's see here. Oh, Johnny Cash. Oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll find out where, where the covers came from. Um, oh, it's 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 American Three Solitary Man, which is an awesome album. Anyway, back to the point. Your first question: What is the purpose of the pastor teacher? If, if the pr- scriptures are clear, what's the purpose of pastor? pastor teacher second part of that question is how do we how are we how should we be careful as believers to not become too dependent on our pastor teacher if the scriptures are clear first of all i would say the pastor teacher is to show why scriptures are so clear okay i mean if you really sit down and let me, the the pastor teacher takes the time to find the clarity i think what you and i would agree with is the majority of our time in studying is more looking at linguistic and cultural distance uh-huh. and to make sure that we hop over those and make right. sure that we're not missing anything. Right. But when it comes to the actual message itself, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, we're kind of taking our people's hands like, look at this. No, really look at this. I'm not going to look you away. I'm not going to look away until you look at this and you apply it. Mm-hmm. And flipping around the other way to the second part of your question, and by the way, that that's part of the role of the shepherd also. Yeah. Um, the second part to becoming too dependent, I think, um, is to realize, and this may sound like I'm contradicting what I'm saying, but your role as a pastor teacher is to teach people how to read God's word for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's one reason why fundamentalism is broken up the way that it is, because expository preaching became big in the 90s, and a lot of fundamentalists started preaching expository, and they realized this isn't what Scripture's calling towards, and it forces people outside of any man-made authority. Now, I think we still see some examples where people ascribe loyalty to pastors who are expository preachers, right? but I think that is beside the point rather than because of the point. Right, yeah. Page yeah. John MacArthur. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm thinking Ephesians 4, it, this is part, you know, God gives pastors and teachers to yeah. the congregation for the growth, but... We recognize Ephesians 4, back to your point earlier, that it is all of everyone um, that is serving and growing up in two. So I'm not um, dependent on my pastor teacher for, um, you know, here's my point is you can become so, not you, but pastors can become so um, uh, heady in their (laughs) preaching that someone says, I could never get that out of the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? I could never see that there. It's just not that clear to me. And that's a danger. Yes. And I, I think, unfortunately, that does happen sometimes. I think you'd agree with me that more and more often what determines meaning is context more than anything else. Of course. And what, and you know, trying to encourage your people to see that. Look at the context. The context will lead you there. Yeah, I, th- I think in looking at one way, the pastor is necessary but not sufficient. And on the flip side of that, the pastor needs his people to understand God's word better. Yeah, I, I think if yeah. it's that healthy sure. relationship that he has other yeah. believers in the congregation, not just pastor brothers, right? But in congregation speaking into his life, and the people see that that that's also shaping his growth in Christ. Yeah, then there is that sense of like, oh, you know, yeah, I yeah. do need the pastor because of the role, yeah. but but we all need one right. another. Right, right. And so I love your I love your illustration of you know, not not in a um, not in a. Um, sort of looking down on kind of a way, but taking by the hand and saying, look and see, like, I've, I've been here already. Yeah. Well, now let me show you, you know, like, like I've done the work to, sh- to see this 
now I'm just bringing you to to the same, you know. Right. Um, you know, I walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and I saw this. I really want you to come see it now. Come, come and learn. Yeah. And sign on the insurance form. Right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you, you make it, I think that's even affected my preaching sometimes. I know some, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I'm uncomfortable with just taking one verse and going really deep into the language and atomizing it. Right. Because your normal believer's not going to have those resources. In right. fact, a few people have mentioned that I tend to preach in longer chunks. Yeah. But that's it's almost because I'm trying to get them to see, here's the flow. Yeah, yeah. You dive into the yeah, flow and you figure yeah. this out. Yeah. The person you paged earlier, their <laughs> ministry has been built very much upon, you know, um, what they were, you know, teaching God's one verse, uh, God's word one verse at a time. And I've heard people say, yeah, but that's not really what we're supposed to do. We're it's supposed the thought to, units. It's the thought units. It's the, it's the context. It's yes. the, it's the, the, you know, if we don't have some element of big picture mm-hmm. in our sermons, um, we're, we're not really addressing what the text is getting to. And, you know, going back to the person I mentioned, John MacArthur, and I will say this, those times where he's really pulled in context and pulled back, I think those are his best messages. Yeah. I think those are his most effective messages Right. when he pulls all of that together. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, Gary, what would you say to a congregant who comes to you and says... I'm just really struggling to understand Scripture. What would be your advice to them? Why are they struggling to understand Scripture? Could you give mm-hmm. me a little bit, a little bit of context there? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to no, be no, obnoxious. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying. Uh, they, they, they just say, uh, you know, I, I sit down and I'm reading God's Word and I'm just not understanding it. You, you know? know what? I would sit down with them over a period of weeks and mm-hmm. just start from something basic mm-hmm. and walk through a basic. You know, a lot of it depends what they don't understand or why they don't understand it, and mm-hmm. just basically walk through your basic Bible reading, Bible study type setup. And, sure. You know, okay, well, let, let's let's read this. Is it better for a chapter or a paragraph? And mm-hmm. what is this book about? And I would take them by the hand and just mm-hmm. walk them through it. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I think it's that's exactly right. It's it's um you know uh, your your question to me is a question I would say is so, to, so explain to me what what you're yeah. struggling with. Um, and uh, yeah, then just con- just continue to point them back to the text, and 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 uh, you know, the Bible is not like any other book, right? But we read the Bible, right? You know, um, hey, are you praying? Are you asking God to illuminate by your the Spirit? Yes, you know, those are all elements. The, yeah, you know, that, that those those kind of things as well, and. Um, yeah, again, it, it just kind of depends on on where they where they might be struggling with that. Any resources that you would recommend uh, for? I guess it just depends. I mean, Gordon Fee's "How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth" is mm-hmm. is, is kind of is, the is classic. Yeah. yeah, there's there's some decent stuff out there. To me, the the biggest thing is just sit down with someone, start reading the Bible together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's important to know. In fact, when people tell me they're reading the Bible chronologically, especially in the Old Testament, I get excited. Yeah, because especially when you can put the prophets in where they go historically, it brings in so much more more meaning and yeah. makes it so much more personal. Right. But again, that's just something to teach someone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and what about yeah, you? That's right. No, I I think that that's good. I think that the idea of uh, you know how to read the Bible for all it's worth is a, is a good place. But yeah, just sitting down. And uh, and starting, and uh, if you come to something that stumps you, um, again back to your Ephesians four point that you you want to have people come around you and say, hey, right. help me understand what I might be missing. Right, I might be missing here. Um, 
Uh, any other thoughts as we close, Gary? Not really. Okay. Well, thanks for checking in today uh, with the Walrus and the Carpenter. Um, hope that you reach out to us and uh, let us know uh, things that you'd like to uh, hear us talk about or even comments on this episode. You can reach us at wallcarpradio.wordpress.com or facebook.com slash wallcarpradio or twitter.com slash wallcarpradio as well. Until next time, we'll see you then. God bless. God bless.